So let's join our hearts together and ask the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. Father, we thank You now for the moving of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank You that You have something in mind, and we are Your people. We are the sheep of Your pasture, and we are willing to follow You wherever You would desire to take us this morning. You knew, Lord, what I should do before I was even invited to be here. So I humble myself under your mighty hand that I can be your messenger, your instrument. And I pray that the hearts of these people will be open to all that you desire to say and to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. There's a principle in studying the Bible It's called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention teaches us that when a subject is introduced in the Bible for the first time, that the the seed of truth is in that first mention and that the rest of the scriptures will develop that seed into full flower. Uh, For instance, the first time God ever mentioned marriage, God said, these two shall be one flesh. That's a seed. And it took the rest of the scripture to teach us how a man and a woman can become one flesh. So we come to the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And we we do not go very far in our Bible reading until the Holy Spirit appears. In fact, he appears in the second verse of the opening chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1-2. And at this first mention of the Holy Spirit, he is said to be moving upon the earth. The Bible described it as the darkness of the deep, but that was a, a picture of the earth that God would create to be what we know today. The Holy Spirit was moving upon the earth. And it was a revelation of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit's uh, method uh, of ministry in the Godhead will be to move. It's the assignment of the Holy Spirit. He will move. And we know from studying Genesis chapter 1, obviously there had to be the moving of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was moving and God spoke. And when he spoke, his word light be became light. And we would deduce from that that the word of God to become what God had spoken, had to have the moving of the Holy Spirit. Then we go all the way to the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And we go to the last mention of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the Holy Spirit will be mentioned for the last time in in our scriptures and the Bible says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say come. And it is a picture of this ultimate work of God 
to bring out of the chaos of sin and humanity a people that he identifies as the bride and this people are marked by their ability to walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And so this last picture of the Holy Spirit is with the people of God and the people of God and the Holy Spirit agree They are in perfect agreement. Now, it is very hard to agree with someone who's not like you. Every married person in the room ought to say, I get that. I I get that. I've been married 55 years in August. I was married for 55 years. Dear Lord, help me, Jesus. We still work on walking together as one. If he would just do what I say, it would be easy. He just won't do what I say. And and Jean and I have had to learn to walk together. We've had to learn to kind of eat together because he likes buttermilk. I hate buttermilk. I don't like buttermilk and cornbread. And he he loves things like that. Uh, When we drive, I try to give him directions, which way to turn and where he ought to go. And he shouldn't have gone this way. And he just tells me to be quiet. He doesn't need a woman telling him where to go. So I shut up, and now he has an iPhone with a woman who tells him where to go. (laughs) So I like her. I don't know who she is, but I like her. My husband obeys her a lot better than he does me. He walks in agreement with her better than he does me. So, so we understand, uh, it, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to move and we have to walk in agreement with him. But, but it's not always a given that we will. Then we have the first mention, the last mention. We go to the second mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And it's in Genesis chapter 6 and it occurs in the days of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 6, the the Lord is going to give us this uh, picture of disaster, floods, destruction that's going to come upon the earth. And Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. So we, we meet the obstacle the Holy Spirit has with his moving. And it it is said very plainly that the Holy Spirit who was moving in the beginning and moved with such ease is now striving with people. And this picture of the flood of Noah is preceded by this very deep revelation that the Holy Spirit was being opposed by people. That, That the Holy Spirit was having to make a lot of effort to bring people into agreement with himself. That, that the Holy Spirit was working here, but there was a striving of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days when Jesus comes to earth again. And we have to realize that when Jesus comes to earth the second time, 
there will have been this issue of the Holy Spirit and the freedom that we must give the Holy Spirit to move. Because the biggest obstacle to the Holy Spirit's moving is is not uh, the devil, it's not darkness, it's people who cannot walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is in a category all by himself. The Holy Spirit is not human. Uh, He is the Holy Spirit. He is the third member of the, the Godhead, and he has been sent to bring us into agreement with himself and with the purposes of God's kingdom in the earth. And we as church people understand that. Uh, we, we certainly have some kind of knowledge, every one of us, that the Holy Spirit uh, should be present here. The Holy Spirit should be able to move here. And I imagine if I asked you all to come to the altar and pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit, you would. But the problem with the moving of the Holy Spirit is the way he moves. Uh, You know, when I was in the Methodist church, we would sing for years, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Uh, You are the potter, I am the clay. We Methodists would sing that at revivals and, you know, hug ourselves and cry. And one day God showed up and baptized a bunch of us in the Holy Ghost and we spoke with tongues and the Methodists got mad at us because they didn't want God to do that. We really do want God to have his own way until he has his own way. So I would suggest you don't sing, have your own way. You don't know what's coming. You You don't know what's coming. It's like having children. I wanted children until I had children. And I thought, I don't want to be a mother. I hate this. This is bad. Because the baby wasn't what I expected. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit delivers to us the baby, it was more than we bargained for. The moving of, of the Holy Spirit. So for us to walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit is really uh, an effort Uh, It really is uh, an anointing that has to come upon our lives because the the Holy Spirit is in this whole other realm and whole other category, but he has said very plainly to us, he wants us to walk in agreement with him and he doesn't want to strive with us. He doesn't want us opposing what, what he desires to do. He really does want to have his own way here. And he wants us to walk in in accord with that. So when we come to this issue of divine activity, uh, it's it's kind of a problem because we're not well taught on that. We just hear sermons, the Holy Spirit will work, the Holy Spirit will move, but no one ever teaches us that. No one ever teaches us uh, how to walk in communion and unity with what the Spirit of God so desires. So many times our lives don't go the way that they should, and many times church bodies end up where they should not have ended up because the congregation has trouble agreeing and walking with the Holy Spirit and sometimes even recognizing the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit 
it is working. Now, in, in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9, this statement is made. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the, the latter house is greater than the glory of the former house. And then this is affirmed in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8 and 10. Ecclesiastes says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Say not thou, why were the former days better than these days? So here is this picture of the movement of God. And I want you to see this picture of movement because these are the words of God. And God talks about his former house. What used to be that, that the glory of the, the former house is going to dissipate and we're going to move over here to the latter house. So there's this movement of God from former to latter. And what was in the former is not necessarily what will be in the latter and, and then in Ecclesiastes, it says God is moving from a beginning to an end, and, and we should not lock ourselves into the former days and say it used to be better than it is today. So we must see that the movement of God is forward. God is always taking us forward. Now, it's real hard for us to go forward because we sometimes in that journey with the Holy Spirit, and I speak from my own personal experience, uh, are seeking not forward movement. We're seeking comfort zones, places where we feel warm and fuzzy. Do you know what warm and fuzzy means? You know, I hear the songs of... The 50s, that's when I grew up. Elvis still makes me feel warm and fuzzy when he sings a, a love song. Frank Sinatra makes me feel warm and fuzzy. My grandchildren don't even know hardly who these people are, but I get warm fuzzies. My husband gets the warm fuzzies from Fats Domino. I don't know how he does, but he likes, you know, the warm fuzzies when Fats sings Blueberry Hill. I don't, you like that too, Pastor. I don't understand that, but he gets warm and fuzzy with Fats. And he has him in his automobile, and he lets Fats sing to him. So it's very difficult to understand that the Holy Spirit's moving, that the Holy Spirit has been sent to move, and, and that the Holy Spirit is going to call some things former. And, and the Holy Spirit is going to look back and say, well, that was the beginning, but we're moving to the end. And as the church and as Christian people who desire the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives, we have to understand the Holy Spirit is not trying to maintain something, you know, where we just preserve what is, hold on to the way that things are now. That he's not trying to reconstruct what used to be because he's moving forward. He's moving from former to latter, from beginning uh, to end. 
And in, in the book of Ezekiel, sometimes we read Ezekiel and it's very complicating, but Ezekiel said, I saw a chariot of God and it had great wheels. And these wheels were in heaven and they were in the earth. And these wheels had a spirit within them and these wheels were moving and the throne of God sat on top of the chariot with the wheels. And the wheels had eyes and what he was describing was divine activity in the earth. And he saw the throne of God sitting upon wheels that were moving. And uh, Ezekiel described it this way in Ezekiel 1 verse 12. Speaking of that chariot, the wheels, he said they every one went straight forward. Every one of them went straight forward wherever the spirit wanted them to go. So God has defined his direction here. It's straight forward. God is going to take us straight forward, not, not in circles. He's not going to take us backwards. He's not going to maintain. He's moving us straight forward. And that is the direction of divine activity, uh, a movement that is forward. Now, when we study the Bible, we understand God was always doing this. And in straightforward movement, God was always uh, leaving things that used to be. So the first time we ever have the presence of God mentioned in the Bible, he was a voice in the Garden of Eden. And he would come and he would fellowship with Adam and Eve. And then we move to the uh, further revelation of the presence of God. And we find that his presence moved from Eden to a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And then his presence moved from the box called the Ark of the Covenant into a tabernacle, a tent. And then the presence moved from the tent into a temple, a room called the Holy of Holies. And now the presence of God is in us people. Because the Holy Spirit was moving forward. He started with a voice, a box, a tent, a temple, and finally got where he wanted to be in people. That movement of God. And if it had been left to us people, we'd still have him in the box. Which is where we like the Holy Spirit, carrying him around. We'd put the box up here. Holy Spirit's in that box. He's not in the box anymore. He's moved forward. And uh, I don't know where he's going, but I guarantee you next year he'll be moving forward. It won't be like it is today. Because he's a great and mighty wheel and the throne of God rides upon his activity. Hallelujah. And he's moving in a straightforward situation. So we, we have to know how to navigate that. We, we have to know how to move in step with the Holy Spirit. If somebody doesn't teach us how to do that, uh, we're, we're going to be like some dysfunctional married couple who, who were married for years and years, but they never learned to walk in agreement. They never learned how to live together and flow together and, and move together. Now, I had to learn this at an early age. I was born again when I was 15 years old, and I, I certainly understood in my 
15-year-old mind that there was a Holy Spirit. I had gone to the Methodist church all of my life, and the Methodist church taught me this. Every Sunday morning, we quoted the Apostles' Creed, and in that Apostles' Creed, we affirmed the fatherhood of God, the lordship of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was sort of alien to me. The Holy Spirit was uh, like someone I really didn't know. It, it was like trying to communicate with someone who spoke a different language. And I, I would pray for things, and I guess from, six, from 15 to age 30, I have a testimony of, of prayers that were answered by the Holy Spirit. But I have to confess, people, I did not know the Holy Spirit. I, I had no real deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I just had this foggy understanding. And the Holy Spirit basically existed to answer my prayers. That, that was his purpose in my life, just to answer this little old girl's prayers. And as I said, some of those prayers he did answer. So after years of saying, have that own way, Lord, when I was 30 years old, he had his own way and baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak with other tongues. And this Holy Spirit just invaded my life. I, I, I cannot put into words what happened to me. But uh, I had majored in languages at college. And when I began to speak with tongues... I understood something very supernatural was going on in my life. And I didn't understand why a little girl living in the South, 30-year-old mother with two kids, my husband was CPA then, why I needed to speak in tongues. But I knew that there had been this entrance of the Holy Spirit into my life. And I, I decided way back there that I wanted to know the Holy Spirit. I decided as a 30-year-old woman that if I could know the voice of my husband, I could know the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I decided that I wanted this Holy Spirit to just permeate my life so that I could do what the Bible says when it says we are to walk after the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I want to be able to do that. I want to be one of these women... Who, who hears the Holy Spirit, who knows the Holy Spirit, and who understands the presence of the Holy Spirit so that I can walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. So I've been on a 45-year journey with the Holy Spirit. I first spoke in tongues in 1969, and I would like to report I have learned to walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit. It took a lot of effort. Sometimes I still have to make effort. But it is worth the effort. It is worth the effort to be able to move through life with the Holy Spirit. Now one thing we have to understand about the activity of the Holy Spirit is he is trying to disconnect us from a dependency upon self. 
So he's always calling us to things that we think we cannot do. He's always calling us literally to, I call it, walk on water. Because we're so used to depending upon ourselves that when we come over here to this invisible Holy Spirit, it's a real leap to go from trusting myself to trusting the Holy Spirit and depending upon Him. And it, it was a, an effort for me to learn that. That the Holy Spirit was drawing me out of myself. Because for the 15 years I had been a Christian, the Holy Spirit just kind of appeared in here and answered some prayers. But I was very self-dependent. I was very much in control of my own life. And all of a sudden, I'm asked to surrender control, follow a spirit I do not understand, whom I cannot see, who's asking me to do things I cannot do. Now, that's hard. That's hard to do. Because we have these things that make us secure. You know, we like to know we can do it. We've got plenty of money in the bank. And if the bank fails, we've got insurance and cars paid for and the house is paid for. And, and the children are behaving and then come into church and sing, we trust God. But we got it covered. And the Holy Spirit wants us to take steps beyond ourselves. So the first thing the Holy Spirit ever asked me to do, I couldn't do, was to teach the Bible to a group of women he was going to send into my home. And I'm, I did not perceive myself to be a Bible teacher. I, I said to the Lord, uh, to be a Bible teacher, you really have to know the Bible. And I don't know the Bible. And to be a Bible teacher, you should love the Bible. And I really don't love the Bible that much. I just read it because I have to. And I did. I had no love for the Bible. Now, in church, when they said, do you love the Bible, I'd clasp it to my chest and sway and cry with everybody else. But I read the Bible because I had to. Christians read their Bibles. That's what I was taught. And I did it for that reason. So God began pulling me from my own self-dependency into a place where I totally had to trust God. I said to God, I hadn't got any messages. I still don't have any messages unless he gives me one. And I had to learn that. That the Holy Spirit was going to come through my mouth. The Holy Spirit was going to tell me what to say. That, that I didn't have to get a message that he would tell me. Even Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. Jesus said that. I can of my own self do nothing. And if Jesus said that, how many believe we need some help here? We need some help here. And we need the Holy Spirit uh, to free us from dependency upon ourselves. So I was a 58-year-old woman. And I was in my church with my husband. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd been spirit-filled since I was 30 at this point. So what is that, 28 years? So I've got a history with the Holy Spirit. My husband and I are sitting on the front row listening to our son, Mark, preach. And Mark began to give his testimony about how the Holy Spirit had worked in his life. Now, we're his parents. We know this testimony. 
And he said, the first ministry I ever did was when our children's pastor stood up in our home church and said, I need help with the children. Mark said, I was 12 years old and I went to Pastor Ed and said, if you'll teach me how to minister to children, I'll help you. And Pastor Ed taught him and Mark began ministry when he was a 12-year-old kid. Then he related when he was 14 years old, the praise leader stood up and said, we need some more guitar players. And if you play guitar, come see me. Mark went to the praise leader and said, I cannot play the guitar, but if mom and dad will buy me one and you'll teach me, I'll be one of your guitar players. So the next Sunday, mom and daddy bought him a guitar and he was on the platform playing, hidden in the bushes because he couldn't play yet. They're still teaching him, but he's behind the ferns over there. You know, not mic'd up, just kind of strumming along. Today, he can write his own music. He's a 48-year-old man today. He writes his own music. And he went to ORU, and his dad and I visited, and dad said to him, "Uh, Mark, I think while I'm here, I'll get my hair cut. Who cuts your hair? Mark said, Dad, I can cut your hair. Cutting hair is easy. And he just cut his hair, and it looked really good. And Mark ended the sermon with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he said, that, that's true, people. God is trying to get us to this place of the all things and away from this dependency upon ourselves. And so I'm his mother. I'm listening to this. I know this story. And, and God began to deal with me. Now, in, in my family, I was the oldest of three children. I was the intellect. I was never in the kitchen frying eggs with mama. I'm reading the books and I'm the all-A kid. I'm the thinker. You know, that's, that's the kind of person I was. And I was not artistic with my hands. My mother did needlepoint. She sewed. She just did all kinds of wreaths and artistic stuff, and I'd let mom do it because I don't do things with my hands. Now, when Mark is preaching, I thought about something. I had bought fabric to cover my dining room chairs, paid a lot for it. And when I called the upholsterer, he wanted a fortune to cover my dining room chairs, so I couldn't cover them with that beautiful fabric. In the meantime, a decorator came to me in our church She said, anybody can cover dining room chairs, get scissors, cut a square, get a staple gun from Home Depot, turn it over, staple the the fabric, screw the chair bottom back on. Anybody can do this. I said, I'm not good with my hands. So the fabric for months had been in a drawer. I started thinking about that fabric. So after the service, my husband and I were in our bedroom undressing, and I said to Gene, the Lord spoke to me tonight, and he said, what did he say? I said, the Lord told me I can cover those dining room chairs. And Gene said, no, 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 no. I mean, he just poured a cold water. He said, you can't do it and you'll cry and you'll be in the middle of the floor in a mess and I'll have to go out and take you to dinner and I'll have to buy more fabric and then I'll have to pay that, that guy to do it. No, no, no. I said, no, God told me. So next day I got my scissors and went and bought me a staple gun, took that beautiful fabric and cleared out a place on the floor and got ready to cut. And cold sweat broke out over me. I'm telling you, I thought, oh, 
I better pray in tongues over this. So I started praying in tongues, marched around it seven times. I sang in the spirit. I bound, I loosed, I cast in, I cast out, laid on my back, laid on my stomach, called out to God who is my help. And finally, there was nothing left to do but to cut. And so I cut, and my husband came home that night. He said, what did you do today? I said, I covered the dining room chairs. And he said, you made a mess of it, didn't you? I said, well, go in there and look. And he came back, and he said, June, I can't believe you did this. He said, it looks perfect. I said, I know. I have surprised myself. I said, honey... Don't you worry about anything. I said, I may not be able to sew, but praise God, if the zipper in your trousers tears up, I can staple that sucker together. Because I've got an anointing to staple here. I said, I can staple. And I'd walk around the house, and if it moved, I shot it with the staple gun. Bought fabric and covered my daughter-in-law's dining room chair. She didn't even want hers covered. And I'm like a fool over there covering her chair. And I went to bed one night and I thought, dear God, I can staple. I mean, you don't understand how free I felt. And, And then I began to wonder, what is it I could do if I would just step out beyond my own limitations? How many anointings are in me that I may die and go to the grave and never know they were there just because I wouldn't step forward and let the Holy Spirit take me out of myself into his ability. So the activity of the Holy Spirit is to get you into those places where you're totally dependent upon him. And the biggest box we put the Holy Spirit in is the box of our own understanding. Because we all understand within a certain capacity. And in that understanding, we, we equate the ways the Holy Spirit's going to move. So that the Holy Spirit becomes very limited by our understanding. And and we don't allow him the freedom to move the way that he wants to move because we, we just have him boxed in. The carnal mind, Romans teaches us, is an enemy. It is a real enemy against God. And until we understand the carnality of our own mind is an enemy against the Holy Spirit. It's an it's a, a opposition to the Holy Spirit. So that Paul said, there are things in you that are strongholds, imaginations, high things exalted against the knowledge of God, and there are a lot of disobedience of thoughts in your head. And so we try to understand the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cannot be understood. He can only be obeyed. He's not trying to get us into understanding. He, he wants to lead us in, into obedience. 
And I've had to learn those ways of the Holy Spirit. Just like living with a man, I had to learn the ways of a man. The ways a a man does life is not the way a woman does life. And I had to, to learn that. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it and you cannot tell where it came from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone that is born of the Holy Spirit. He's like a wind that blows where he wills. And we don't understand wind. Uh, I don't know where the wind goes when it doesn't blow, do you? I don't know what makes the wind blow. There are currents, but if it's not blowing, where is it? Why didn't it blow? There's no way I can say to you, go out in the parking lot and bring me a bag full of wind. (laughs) Just can't do it. Sometimes we're full of wind, but the bag of wind, you're not going to bring it in. I, I can't. Catch it in my hands. Don't understand it. But when the wind blows, I know it. When the wind blows, I look out the window and I say, it's windy today. Because the blowing of the wind produces effects, even though I don't see it. And so we have to understand, this is the way the ways of the Holy Spirit are. They're beyond understanding, but he wants to produce very visible, uh, you know, effects in our lives. So I had to learn to stay very supple with the Holy Spirit and allow him the freedom to be his wonderful self and free him from the limitations of my own religious thinking. Uh, Free him from the limitations of my own uh, assignment as to what I think is anointed. You know, if somebody falls on the floor and I don't like that, then I'll say, well, that's not anointed. Or if somebody just doesn't clap during the praise and everybody else is clapping, I'll say, well, she wasn't anointed. And what I'm doing is I'm making uh, value assessments here based on my own understanding, just based on the way I want the Holy Spirit to perform, the way I think the Holy Spirit should go. And I had to learn that the Holy Spirit's going to do things that, that I don't understand. And, and he's trying to free me into this place where I can let him be the Holy Spirit without being in the box of my mind. Now, God taught me how to give. My husband has always been the big giver in our family. And, you know, if we tithed, we did it because of him. And I certainly agreed with him, but I was just not a big giver. I just didn't, you know, give a lot. And God was going to teach me about money and giving. So I was invited to speak. I was very young in the things of the Spirit, and I was invited to speak at a group that was their first meeting, a little group of women. The woman said to me, I don't know if I'll have enough, you know, people there to even pay you an honorarium. And I said, well, it's okay, I'll just come, and you take up an offering, and whatever comes in, you can give it to me. And she said, fine. So I I drove to that meeting, it was about 30 or 40 miles from my house, 
And this was back in the 70s. In those days, you could fill your automobile with gas for $10. How many old people remember those? Good, glorious days. So I filled my tank for $10. And I got to the meetings, about 30, 40 women there. She took up the offering at the end. She was coming toward me with the money in her hands. And as she was walking toward me, I saw that money, and I thought, she's going to give me the offering. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, she needs that money more than you do. Tell her it's her money and to keep it. And I heard that, and then I came back. Well, I'll keep $10 for my gas money because I'm out $10. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you just give her all of it. So I did. I said, you keep it. So I go home that night. My husband said, how did it go? And I told him. And He said, did they give you an honorarium? And I told him the story. And I said, but it really kind of ticked me off. God wouldn't let me keep $10 for my gas money. I said, you'd think God would let me keep $10 for my gas money. And Jane said, well, it's all right. You won't miss it. I said, well, I know. I just thought God would let me keep $10 for my gas money. So it was about three, four months later. I'm at a meeting. I'm not even a speaker. I'm just sitting over here at a table waiting for a speaker to speak. This guy over here that I knew slightly went to church with him, not a personal friend, leaves his table, walks over to me. Very nervous. He's kind of doing this. And he said, Sister June, the Lord told me to come over here. And he paused. And I said, yes. He said, well, it's crazy. He said, you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, well, just go ahead. Well, he, I was sitting over there, and I looked at you, and the Lord said, come over here, and... He said, this is crazy. I said, well, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. And he said, well, the Lord said to give you this. And he put a check in my hand. And he said, now, here's the crazy part. The Lord said, tell June it's her gas money. And I opened it up, and it was a $10 check. (laughs) The ways of the Holy Spirit. And Gene said to me, I guess you'll shut up about $10 from now on. I said, I guess I will. The Holy Spirit. I mean, he just got me outside this box. That the only way God can get $10 to me is through that offering. You follow what I'm saying? The ways of the Holy Spirit. So Gene and I did a meeting in a town. This guy had spent tons of money to advertise. He expected to have three or 400 people show up in a hotel room he had rented. First night, there were about 15 people in the room. Nine of us had to be there. You know, we had to be there. And he stood up behind the podium and looked out at us, well, 15 people in a room, about 400, and said, this is pitiful. I spent tons of money, and look, nobody showed up. He just ranted and raved about that, and by the time he finished, we felt pitiful. (laughs) Second night, about 15, same 15 showed up. He did the same thing. This is pitiful. And the message I preached was pitiful. It was just pitiful. And then the third night, he did the same thing. And Gene and I left and said, we are glad to get out of town. That was the most pitiful meeting we have ever, 
ever done. We'd get through with our messages. Nobody would even come forward for prayer. I mean, the 15 would just sit there. We'd give altar calls. They were playing music. Nobody would come forward. We didn't pray for one person. It was pitiful. So it became the way we judge meetings. Well, this one's bad, but not like pitiful. You know, it, this is really bad. Fifteen years later, we're in Atlanta, Georgia, in a high-rise arena. We're sitting up in the nosebleed section waiting for a speaker to come to the platform and the meeting to begin. A woman walks up to us and she said, aren't you the Evans? We nodded yes. She said, you don't know me and you won't remember where you met me, but I was in a meeting and she called the name of that town, you know, pitiful meeting. And I said to her, no, we remember that. We remember that meeting. And then she said to my husband, Brother Evans, she said, the last night you, you were there was the greatest meeting I have ever attended. And I thought, well, honey, you need to go to some meetings. If that was great, you need to go. She said, Brother Evans, you taught on healing, and you gave an altar call. Nobody came up to be healed, and I knew you thought you had missed it. And she said, but what you didn't know is I was dying of cancer, and I had been given just a few short weeks to live. And I came to the meeting that night, and I don't know why I didn't come up for prayer. I was too weak, too timid. But she said, I heard what you said, that healing is included in redemption, and I prayed in my seat. And she said, when I went back to the doctor, I had been totally healed of cancer. And 15 years later, I'm alive and well. Now hear me, people. I understood, even though we saw nothing, felt nothing, heard nothing, anointing was in the room that night. The ways of the Holy Spirit. And we have to step outside of our little religious boxes of this is anointed and that's anointed and the Holy Spirit's going to do it this way and the Holy Spirit's going to do it that way. We, we cannot, we cannot do that. We have to be people who are freed from dependency and people who are able to understand the ways and the activity of God. And then we're told one last thing. There's much I could say about the Holy Spirit, but we'll end here. It says the Lord is that Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed. We are changed. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. So the, the movement of the Holy Spirit is forward, freeing us from dependency upon ourselves, getting us into doing life His way. And in order to do that, it requires change. And, and the, the issue we have is we religious people will take form... And we'll settle there. We'll, we'll be in our comfort zones. This is the way we've always done God. And we'll just do it this way. And, and we will not change to move with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a, I'm a woman in her latter years. And God made known to me that my latter years were to be spent reaching 
a, a generation which is behind me, that I have a responsibility to pass a baton. I'm, I'm a marathon runner, and I have to pass a baton. My generation, people in their 70s and their 80s, we have to pass a baton to a younger generation. And there are 20-year-olds and teenagers and 30-year-olds that, that God has spoken to me. I have to go back and be sure that what the Holy Spirit's done in me, I am depositing in a generation to come. And that has required this old girl to make tremendous changes because they don't like, have thine own way, Lord. They sing differently. They sing music. I don't even like. I don't even like what they sing. A lot of times I go in churches and they have disco balls and smoke and I think, am I in a nightclub or church? And those kids are just down there praising God. And, and I had to change. I had to change. And one day I was sitting on the front row in the church criticizing the music. I thought, I wish they'd sing, have thine own way, Lord. And God spoke to me. That praise was not about the song that was being sung. It was about worshiping and praising God. And I could always worship and praise God in the sanctuary. And I had to change. I had to change. We are changing. And we're not changing from better to worse, from glory to glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So these little 20-year-olds just energize me. I'm telling you, they've made me learn to text. I haven't Twittered yet, but I am on Facebook, you know. I said, I don't want to Twitter. And I learned if I'm going to talk to my kids, my grandchildren, I have to text them. They don't answer the phone. And so grandma's texting. Sometimes it reads like a foreign language, but it's there nevertheless. Change. Change. 